This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. I don't I don't know that it ended up being overhyped, but Galen Weston and other grocery executives came to Ottawa and ended up getting grilled by MPs. But what will it really change? The conversations were about food inflation. Jugmeet Singh, the NDP leader, has honestly promoted this like it's a Super Bowl pregame. I'm going to take these guys to task. I've got questions. He had huge files, huge paper files that he said were printed out questions. And I'm thinking a couple things. One, um, how terribly environmentally friendly is that? I haven't printed out that many papers, as many papers as Singh had. I've not printed out that many papers in the last half decade. Everything is almost done online. Like you get handed papers for stuff like your tax returns and you're like, oh, what am I going to do with this? Can I just look this up somewhere? So um, a lot of trees got killed for Jugmeet Singh to make a point yesterday. I think that was I think that was notable. I spotted that. Grocery prices were up 11.4% in January compared to a year ago. The rate of inflation is 5.9%. Absolutely. Grocery stores are facing higher costs. Of course they are. But listen to this exchange between the NDP leader and uh, Loblaw's executive, uh, Galen Weston, and you can weigh in afterwards. Here's here's sort of the back and forth, the tete-a-tete between them yesterday afternoon. You mentioned this $1 per grocery bit. We can put a factor in front of you. Your company is making $1 million a day in excess profits. No one feels sorry for your profit margin when you're making a million dollars, not just in profit, in excess profit a day at the same time. The Canadians are experiencing the most unprecedented inflation in their lives. How can you look a family in the eyes and tell them that that's okay, what you're doing is okay? I had a a conversation with a customer in a store just the other day. Um, She came to me and she said something similar. She said, how can you have such exorbitant profits? And I sat down. I didn't sit down with her, but we chatted uh, for about 15 minutes. And I explained, um, you know, what I'm explaining here to the committee. And she she understood. um, And she said, she said, "Okay, I didn't realize that that's not the way it's being characterized. um, You know, when I read the Globe Mail or whether I when I read the Toronto Star. And I and I said, yeah, I I said, look, I, I all I can tell you um, is that these this is the truth. This is what what's going on. And if we invested, uh, if we didn't raise retail prices as costs went up, um, we would the companies that we operate um, would disappear um, almost uh, almost I- instantly. Um, and that's why this point about low profit margins is so important. A hundred percent of the total profit of the industry could go into lower food prices, and the price of a grocery basket for that customer who I spoke to would own, would still be $24. So here's what the um, executives, the titans of our food industry, um, didn't want to commit to yesterday. And I don't know how you force them. I don't know how you force them, but I know it, it can be done in a bipartisan fashion. It's a really difficult thing, isn't it, right now in Ottawa to get everybody on the same page and say, let's all do this um, because there's different principles and politics involved. But other countries have done this. The UK and Australia are the two obvious examples. It's called a grocery code of conduct. And I, sometimes it takes the first person to step in the water to go, okay, this this will actually end up being better PR. Right now, I don't think Galen Weston cares about PR. And I don't think a lot of big companies care about 
PR. They care about profits. I'd make the case the big pharmaceutical companies don't terribly care about PR. They had bad PR before the pandemic, and then all of a sudden they step in and, and there are there are heroes and they're going to do everything benevolently and not for profit. Okay, sure. You, let me sell you another one. But the UK Grocery Code has reported that since 2015, there's been a decline in supplier complaints. So there's been no unfair, fewer unfair business practices from large grocery retails. You'll never make everybody happy. Uh, I sure know that. And you will. But if you're a large business, you certainly won't. People cannot make everybody in their lives happy. Delay in payments. Less. Claims against suppliers for historic invoicing errors and emissions. Less. The bread fixing controversy that we had here. You wouldn't have a scenario like that. So we're starting to talk about at least these conversations and food prices in Ireland and the UK because of this declined. Between 2013 and 2020, in Canada, no, pre-pandemic, they went up. And remember, the UK went through quite an economic, uh, you know, a lot of economic turmoil with Brexit in 2016. Of course they did. But this was an unshakable mandatory code of conduct that grocery stores had to follow. So what does this do? It limits administrative costs, waste, unnecessary fees, all that stuff. I get they're not going to do this voluntarily right now. But there is, and, and by the way, when you hear Galen Weston talk, most of those cashiers aren't full-time, so they can't get benefits. The union, that's a different story. I mean, he makes the point that the union representing the workers gets mandatory increases. Well, what if there wasn't a union? That, why is it so strange that each time the union negotiates, wages are increased? That's called a cost of living. That's going to happen. You pay union dues so unions can A, have your back, and B, get you the most money profitable. But remember, um, it's one of those scenarios where um, the wage scale and, and benefits received, it's not all what it seems. So I think there's more than enough conversation to have about a grocery code of conduct at some point in time. But you're going to have to get the public has to really push for it. And I know our eyes and, and our, our brains are all distracted all over the place right now. Like this should have been a massive story yesterday. But I understand why other things push it off the front page. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Lots of issues to do with the TTC, lots of issues moving forward with uh, with with transit. I actually think the spring is really going to tell the tale. Spring and early summer, especially when our weekends are really busy and the weather's excellent, way better than what we're dealing with now, we're going to get a better sense as to how many people are returning to transit. I think it's really been unfair to compare year-over-year numbers uh, for the TTC because we're still in the midst of a lot of stuff this time last year. Mask mandate didn't drop till late March. We closed things down for a good chunk of January. But um, but I think the next three months are going to really tell us some things. Uh, we wanted to talk to uh, Councillor for Don Valley East. He's the chair of the TTC as well. He is John Burnside. John, it's great to have you back on Toronto today. I appreciate the time. Good morning, Greg. Thanks for having me. A- am I being uh, too um, presumptuous about that? I know you saw some, and, and we saw it in, in the in the media, some January over January numbers. I'm like, last January we had a crippling snowstorm, and we still had a lot that was kind of shut down. We weren't out and about like we are right now. I, I didn't think it was a fair comparison to judge t- the TTC, cars on the road, uh, businesses bottom line. I didn't think it was. No, and, and and thank you for being fair about that. But uh, a lot of journalism isn't about fairness. But, you know, it's funny, just in the last week or two, I've noticed that the downtown itself is that much busier. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, since last year, it's it's night and day. So we're going to see that. And, you know, I also, you know, people are reading about, 
incidents on the TTC, but uh, I encourage people to go downtown and just walk around downtown and see how much it's changed in the last three years. I noticed it walking to the auto show. I chose to do from the auto show both the Saturdays. So even at 10 in the morning on a Saturday, you pop up Union Station's bustling at 10 a.m. on a Saturday. You pop up to Front Street at, at York. You make that turn towards the convention center, and it feels like you could see it and feel it. It feels lively, and I, I doubt it would have been that a year ago. I doubt it would have been that eight months ago compared to where it is now. No, absolutely. And I mean, the good news is that, and I believe the Go uh, Transit is in the same situation as us at the TTC, is that, you know, weekend numbers, and you know, I'll say the more of the leisure travel on public transit is uh, either back to normal or slightly above. It, it's getting people back to the office. That's the uh, the real challenge. But I think it is happening slowly. It may not get to back to five days a week, but I, I think, you know, this time next year, all being well, um, we'll see even better numbers in terms of transit ridership. I know. I, I guess I, it's odd to use this phrase, obviously. Former Mayor Tory made that very clear, and he was trying to incentivize businesses and encourage businesses to to say, hey, listen, um, we don't want you to go to battle with lo- loyal employees, but we, yeah, we do want office buildings full again. Because, John, there's such a spinoff effect from that. It's meeting a friend you haven't seen in a while downtown or, or staying down after your, your shift for a, a Leafs or a Raptors game or something. And, and just if you're not coming downtown at all, we miss out on a lot of those spinoffs. Well, exactly. And I mean, in terms of the TT, just the TTC itself, we have to provide the infrastructure. So we need the ridership. Um, the one place I would uh, sort of differ from Mayor Tory is he was encouraging businesses to, you know, get their employees back. I think the city of Toronto needs to show leadership in that regard. Right now, our, most of our employees are two, maybe three days a week. We need, as a city, to, to lead the way and get people back into the office. My staff are there four, if not five days a week. Um, so that's where I'd really like to see in the next mayor uh, provide that uh, leadership in terms of getting our own staff back to work. So you've got um, some employees of the TTC that were on special assignment that are coming back to being fair inspectors. We had Stuart Green on on Monday to to sum up uh, the storm and, and the reaction to it and whatnot from Friday going into Saturday. Um, and, and those fair inspectors are going to start giving out tickets soon. He said it hadn't happened yet, but uh, but I know you met um, you met yesterday, uh, obviously, with Rick Leary. Um, is that going to happen? Is there a set date when you can expect to be ticketing again? Oh, absolutely, and that that was planned. Uh, I think that's been in the in the offing and the plans for quite some time. At the end of March, now um, when these uh, the fair inspections start and and if ticketing uh, will fo- follows, it'll be largely down in the core at the subway stations, the busy subway stations, and we've had a particular problem on the streetcar lines, the King and Queen streetcar. So it's not going to be citywide initially. Uh, and it's going to be focusing on people who can afford to pay but choose not to. And I think that's that's a big distinction as well. Expand on that a little bit. You, I, I know you don't want to give tickets to people that are disenfranchised, experiencing homelessness. But I'm sorry if, if people are slot. I've been stopped on the go. That was about a decade ago. But I, I ran on and thought I didn't have time. That's my own fault. I got to I got to be accountable. And they said, all right, we're going to keep your name and, and your, your address. And the next time this happens, we're giving you a ticket. I I expect that I, I should get that and I can afford to pay, but people can't be sloppy. It costs it costs you the bottom line. It costs it costs the TTC the bottom line when people like me do that. Well, yeah, exactly, Greg. And you can't complain that fares are going up when when you have 13 percent, approximately 13 percent of riders who aren't paying. You can't comp- uh, complain 
that service levels are going down when we're losing a lot of money in terms of people paying their mm. uh, fare. So, you know, it's not about going after, uh, you say, as you say, the disenfranchised or the homeless or anything like that. It's about people that, that are dressed like me, dressed like you, that just choose not to pay. And, you know, it does create a sense of uh, a bit of a free-for-all and a lack of sense of order. And I think that goes to, towards the general atmosphere as well. Mm. So I'm... Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, 100% behind uh, getting things back to uh, some sense of normalcy, and part of that is, uh, includes paying uh, your fare. City Councilor John Burnside, kind enough to join us on Toronto Today. By the way, you're being way too kind because I get dressed in the dark at 3.45 in the morning, so nine days out of ten, you're dressed better than me, John. It's nice for you to put me in your sentence, but you... you radio, eh? uh, Yes, I certainly, yeah, yeah. Uh, casual Fridays is uh, also casual Mondays and uh, and Tuesdays. But, uh, you know, at least I'm at the office. We had Stuart as well tell us that, uh, that I, and I thought this was strange, that when you give a fine out, the TTC doesn't get to collect that money. That's an oddity to me, and that's that's nobody's fault, but I was really surprised that that's the case. Like, like, can we change that? It goes, he said, it goes to the court system if there's a $150 ticket or a $225 ticket. I think the TTC should get some of that money. Well, a couple things in that regard. Um, you know, the city uh, subsidizes the TTC to the tune of almost $1 billion. Um, so, I mean, it ultimately comes back. And, um, you know, the, the whole idea of issuing tickets isn't to raise revenue, it's to change behavior. So that's the, the second point. And the third point is, yes, the TTC, it doesn't go directly into their coffers, but by the same token, they're not paying for the infrastructure of the courts, uh, which okay. the city is. So, um, you know, I get I get everyone's concern, but I, I think it's a little bit mis, uh, misplaced. And, and uh, as I say, everything, as I say, mm-hmm. evens out in the wash. I think, like I said, I think we'll know a lot about how um, how things have returned to the city in the next three months. We also have a really unique spring. I mean, it's uh, I, I think we're all sort of picking up the pieces. The shock factor of, of what happened with, with the prior mayor has worn off. And, and we have a really interesting race. I want to know what you think. What qualities do you want the next mayor to uh, to possess that he or she should possess in spades um, to, to really take over at a in an unprecedented moment but at a really important time for our city yeah thanks for asking that question well um two two major attributes one is the ability to work with the other levels of government our finances uh, we're in dire uh, in a dire situation i don't think anyone really understands how bad it is so we need to we need someone who can work with the other levels of government and really figure out the proper funding formula and then go from there in terms of what we do with our own taxes. Um, right now we're paying far too many expenses that other levels of government should be shouldering. And then the other thing is I really want someone who will um, take a, a very balanced approach, but a little more aggressive in terms of the uh, crime and safety law and order public safety um, uh, agenda debate. Uh, I encourage people to go down to Young and Dundas, walk around there, and um, it's a bit, you know, that's supposedly our our crown jewel. It's our welcome to the city. Um, There's open drug use. Um, There's a lot. There's actually open drug dealing. Uh, There's a lot going on there, and it's, it's not only an embarrassment, but it's a it's a poor reflection on the city, and it it's a I think it's a bit of a bad omen. We need someone who has the guts to tackle those challenges. I think those are such important issues, and you're not the first person to bring up Young and Dundas on this show even um, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Um, there have been a couple important op-eds about it, and 
um, we'll stay on that file for sure. John, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it, and uh, and I hope you'll uh, you'll come on again as we lead up. Uh, I think those are all important messages for the next mayor to uh, to take into a campaign. Thank you for this. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. John Burnside, our guest on Toronto Today. That's some really interesting conversation about transit. He's the chair of the TTC, councillor for Don Valley East. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. We're going to have a spring election for mayor. Uh, so you're going to get, you know, campaigning and shorts and flip-flops and whatnot and debates maybe the same thing. And it's in late June. It's the Monday before Canada Day. And our next guest signed an open letter in support of uh, a frequent guest of Toronto today, Josh Matlow for mayor. So we wanted to talk to her about it. And uh, she's uh, put her foot in and is advocating. Uh, Erica M., of course, former Much Music VJ, but she's done much, much more than that. No pun intended. It's great to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for inviting me. It's lovely. Uh, how how did you first uh, come across uh, Josh and why would he be a great mayor for our city? I came across Josh 13 years ago when he was a school board trustee and uh, my daughter was not being accepted into any school. There was sort of red tape and a broken system. I went to this guy, uh, the school board trustee, and watched him uh, bring all these different people together in a room in an emergency meeting. He made everyone accountable he kept his word and he made changes happen. I really wasn't that sort of politically aware, but I started to connect with him and watch him. And uh, a few years later, he ran for city councillor in my ward and I helped him. I returned the favor to him because I believed in him and have been doing so all along. I have watched him very closely navigate the political system and advocate on behalf of the constituents. And I see a world of difference between the way he approaches politics and others who I don't feel like they have the same, I don't know, uh, belief in the system that change can happen. Your arc sounds like mine, and I bet it sounds like a lot of listeners, where municipal politics feels like when you're a teenager, when you're in your early 20s, it feels like the most boring brand of politics. There aren't a bunch of big rallies or debate. But then when you get to be an adult, you realize, oh, this really matters. Our streets matter. Our neighborhoods matter. Uh, policing matters. Taxes matter. It almost becomes the most important branch of politics that affects your everyday life, Erica. You are so right. And the scary thing is right now we're seeing a rise in political leadership that lacks in transparency and integrity. I know you've got to feel that because mm. I know that I'm losing faith in the political system. I'm watching all these backroom deals happen and all these politicians blatantly lying to us. They're saying, oh, well, we changed our minds. Or like, for example, what Tory did with the strong mayor power, he did that in the back room. He never even told anybody when he was running. And then when we found out, it was like a slap in the face to all Torontonians. And it was too late. He was already in power. So I want someone in office who will look out for the best interest of all Torontonians, not themselves. I don't want some power hungry guy. I want to know that there is someone in a position of power who genuinely cares about the future of the health and the wealth of all Torontonians. I need someone who's a consensus maker. You know, why is there not someone 
in that position of power who can bring business leaders and residents together to solve problems rather Mm. than this constant division and fighting and isolation. Like I've watched him and he doesn't vote left or right. He always makes decisions based on what is right for his constituents. And that is this nonpartisan approach to Mm. politics, which is almost like a weird thing because isn't politics about partisanship, but it shouldn't be. It, it feels Eric M's our guest on on Toronto today. I will make the point that about twenty seconds ago you said, and then John Tory did something, and I didn't know where you were going next. But either way, it was a strong mayor power. So um, I think you, I think you, <laughs> I think you said, and then we found out what John Tory did, and it was the strong mayor powers. But there's a reason he's not in office anymore. Also, I'd bring this up with partisan politics. I don't know what your conversations are like with your neighbors or your peer group, but mine, mine are, hey, I'm equally frustrated with Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau. I don't have a home anymore. I don't recognize the party that my parents used to vote for when I was a kid and I was interested in politics. So you nailed it. I think there's a lot of free agents out there. I think there's a lot of people. I want ideas, not ideology. And municipal politics, municipal politics lets us pick that. You know, it's so interesting that you're saying that because um, I, I went to hear uh, the Chancellor of U of T speak. Her name is Rose Patton. And she wrote a book called Intentional Leadership. And she nailed it. it she really, she read my mind. She said that three, there are three things that we, um, as employees or constituents, we're looking for leaders who will inspire trust, truth, and transparency. And I loved what she said. She Mm -hmm. said the command and control style of leadership doesn't work anymore. That authoritarian, um, this is the way we should, paternalistic, you know, which is really how Tori did it. Um, But the world has changed. It's changed. What was working three years ago doesn't work anymore. We see it. Like people are saying that Toronto is like, Gotham City now. It's scary with overflowing garbage bins and the snow not being cleared properly and, you know, all this violence on the streets and on the TTC. It's becoming scary. So we need leaders who exhibit different skill sets, flexibility, constant Mm. learning, great collaborators, consensus builders, leaders who have empathy, leaders who are Uh, have the ability to inspire leadership in others. We need to change the tone in City Hall. And I really believe that Josh Matlow has all those skills and the desire to do that. He needs, Mm. he feels, I think, I'm putting words into his mouth, but based on what I see, he wants to do what is right Mm. for the people of Toronto, not what is right for other politicians and not for what is right for his own pocketbook. It's weird. It's weird too. It's weird. It's weird too, because you come from Montreal, you come here for work and, and you you come here and think nothing's going to stop you with your career and what you want to accomplish. I worry now, a 
Toronto's too expensive for an Eric M or someone like you to do in 2023 that you did in, you know, 1984. And I also worry that that this isn't going to be a great city or right now a great province for people like you and me to age out in. I hate the idea of moving. I don't want to move. My, my, I'm, I'm Ontario for life. But you're going to have to give me better surroundings and, and better options than, than the ones my parents are facing right now. You just do. Yeah, and I, I've watched Josh again because um, I'm in his ward. And he works tire, tirelessly mm. for senior citizens. Number one, he's making sure that they can afford their rent to begin with. And, you know, on the other hand, he works with developers. And what he does is he says, of course you can build here, but work with me on this. Let's do something that is great for the whole community. If you build these huge buildings, why not invest in a school? Why not invest in green space? So I, I think that he is taking a new approach, and that is what this city needs right now, because yeah. the city is going to be more intensified. There are new people coming in, and that's a beautiful mm. thing. Um, but we have to do it with great thought, uh, and, we, and we have to do it without lining our pocket. When I say our, I mean politicians lining mm. their pocketbooks. Erica, I hope we can have more conversations uh, about about politics, about Toronto. You live and breathe it, I can tell. L- let's do that again. I really appreciate you coming on this morning. Wait, can we ask people to please reach out to Josh Matlow <laughs> and ask him to run? Because right now he's considering it. He has a young daughter at home, and he's not sure if he wants to you know, take this on. I need him to. So it would be great if people reach out to him and say, Josh Matlow, we need you to run for mayor. I feel like you just offered free daycare for his daughter several <laughs> months of the year. Why do you, you know, you, you've ra- you've properly raised kids for uh, for two days. Why would you want to take on another 10 year old? That's the last thing you should want. But anyway. Josh's wife is incredible. <laughs> she can do it. She can handle it. All right. Let's chat again, Erica. Thanks so much for the time. Anytime. Erica M. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, the Academy Awards are uh, coming up March 12th, 2023. That's Sunday night. Here's my uh, here's my revelation and my uh, admission, Sheba and Gord. I love award shows more than the average uh, human being. I know that. Um, my wife doesn't like them as much as I do, but I like speeches at weddings. And they make her uncomfortable, especially my own oh. back in 2004. Um, <laughs> it went on a little long. You'd be shocked at that. It's a toast, not you a roast. You like the speeches at weddings. I love wedding speeches. Oh, Don't well, you like them? the worst part. Is why, it's oh. the best part. What's the best part? The ceremony? No. Um, yes, the dancing, no, the father, bride dance, certainly. No, I don't. No, it's the speeches because people are you get a lot of people speaking publicly who either never do, should never do. <laughs> and alcohol is involved. Gordon. Yes, what's what's better than that? I remind certain people that, hey, it's a toast, not a roast. And <laughs> um, I wish the three of I wish we'd been watching. I had to watch the Oscars by myself last year. My wife was in Florida for work. So when sad music. Yeah. The hosts, (laughs) Regina Hall, Amy Schumer, Wanda Sykes. We've all forgotten who the hosts were because of what happened with Will Smith and Chris Rock. Right. We've all right. 
And uh, and I watched the end of Will Smith accepting the Oscar on Sunday morning because I after the Chris yeah. Rock stand up, I went down a couple uh, rabbit holes, as they say. And you can they keep panning to the Williams sisters because he's talking about King Richard and they're just like, oh, my God, stop talking. Like you can see it in Serena's face. She's like she's looking petrified. But I'm always going to watch the Oscars. I'm always going to be entertained. We get Jimmy Kimmel back who hasn't hosted since 2018. There was no host in 2019 and 2020 before the pandemic. And there wasn't, a, there was, it was a really bad show in 2021. 5.9 million people watched in 2021. 9 million people watched last year. And I wonder with all the Will Smith controversy, Sheba, whether that goes up. Yes. Um, or sorry, got a nine share compared to a 5.9 share. 16.62 million people watched in the States. I think we get a number similar to that because I think more people went back to the movies this year. I think they did as well, but I also think, so Jimmy Kimmel's hosting and he said that he is going to address what happened last year with the slap. I think people <laughs> want to tune in for that, see his opening monologue, see how he tries to make light of that situation. Who knows? Yeah, this is uh, a time number four for Jimmy Kimmel. Um, I can't only imagine what this is like for, uh, I, you know, we always like to uh, reach out to our 86 and over demo. Bob Hope hosted the show 19 times. I can only imagine the political incorrectness of those. Oh, yeah. You couldn't air, you, and even Johnny Carson, five times. I bet you couldn't air some of those late 70s jokes. Oh, yeah. Well, now, most, Jimmy Kimmel should not <laughs> replicate any of those Johnny Carson jokes. Most just, of the time, it was just like a dinner. It wasn't even televised until. But Billy, time. but I'm, I was surprised to find out Billy Crystal's hosted it nine times. Oh, I, wow. I would have said four or five. And, and Whoopi Goldberg's hosted it four times. The other three time host, yes. Steve Martin. Um, they've had Ellen obviously has done it twice. Uh, Chris Cr Rock. Chris Rock has done it twice. Yes. Um, so are you in or out on watching the Oscars? And I ask that knowing that most people haven't seen the majority of movies that are that are among the 10 best picture nominees. I only could come up with Top Gun Maverick for myself. Sheba, in or out on that's watching. That's the only the, one you've seen. That's the only one okay. out of the 10. I, I have a few on my list. I think last year I'd seen three because I, I specifically wanted to see Belfast. And I did, and it was okay, a little long. Um, what, are you in or out on watching the Oscars, Sheba? So I'm half. I'm in on it. I love the red carpet. I love seeing what everybody's wearing. I love, you know, all of that drama that happens on the red carpet. I love the opening monologue. I just can't stay up till like 11.30 to see the best picture. Yes, when you work a morning show, 11.30 is the middle of the it night. It is late, Everybody. So I just can't do it. So I, I will watch the highlights the next morning as well. But I, li I like the, the red carpet and the opening monologue. And I've only seen two of ten of the Best Picture nomination nominated movies this year. Avatar, Way of Water, and Top Gun Maverick. Oh, okay. You've seen the Avatar one. Yeah. I, 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 and I haven't seen the original Avatar. I explained. There's so many big ticket uh, movies. As I was documenting, I hadn't seen Titanic. Yeah. So you guys had to explain to me that it wasn't like a cruise ship, like a like a princess <laughs> Caribbean cruise ship. They were actually moving. To, <laughs> to I, I don't, for someone who loves his music so much, knows everything about music, I feel like you know nothing about movies. Or you haven't seen the main ones, the classics. I, I really... Like, yeah. You haven't seen Forrest Gump I either. I haven't seen Forrest Gump. Basically, it's a long-winded story about a woman who has a one-night stand. Forrest Gump is? No, Titanic. Oh. Well, again, like we we played the clip of, of them painting the uh, Billy Zane character as the good guy and Leonardo DiCaprio as the villain. And I like that version better. <laughs> this homeless guy who climbs onto a boat and steals and wrecks somebody's potential marriage. Um, Gord, in or out on the Oscars? This year I'm in because I have seen, I think I've seen the most out of everyone. I've seen three of the ten. So Elvis, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once, and um, Top Gun. 
How did you like Everything Everywhere All at Once? You, you have to uh, watch, really watch this movie. You can't be a passive watcher. You oh, have really to pay have attention. to be because it it has it involves timelines and she's jumping back and forth, and you really got to you know pay attention. You can't be on your okay, phone during it. it. No, no, you can't be checking emails or being on our WhatsApp. But chat. not because of subtitles. I remember that no. with Parasite, where I'm like, <laughs> I can't do anything else. I can't leave the room. I can't fold laundry. I have to be watching the screen the whole time. <laughs> and Jamie Lee Curtis is <laughs> oh, in Parasite, Parasite was amazing. It was amazing. I loved it. Yeah. Um, okay, let, let's talk about our best, our five yeah, best pictures ever. In or out on Oscars and on Twitter already, like 85% say, you guys are losers. We're not watching the Oscars. So that's their perspective <laughs> on this. Yeah. Um, how many. How many Best Picture winners have you seen in your life once all the way through? Gord, what number did you come up with? Out of the 94, I saw 40, which I was shocked by. I did thought you it think it lower. was more or less? Yeah, I thought it was way, it's way more than I thought. But have you really seen anything? Sheba, what was your number? I'll ask you both the same question. Okay, I went back to the last 33 years. I didn't go all the way back. I, mm-hmm. I went back to the last 33. I've seen 22. Okay, 22. So nothing before. What's the earliest best picture? Because Gone with the Wind is always on TV. And I said to Gord, I haven't seen it. I've seen it. I've watched 15 minutes of it, but it's from 1939. I mean, like, I've seen things that, you know, when I was barely born. And, but those were like decades later, I actually went back and watched them. So I thought it'd be more two. And I've seen 46. But I've seen more 70s movies than um, 80s or 90s. And I was really surprised at that. Like, what did I skip in the 80s? So that's your parents, right? That's your parents watching something. Yeah, I think okay. I think it is. I've never seen Amadeus. Oh. I've never seen Out of Africa. Oh, yeah. Are I've you... never seen The Last Emperor. What the <laughs> Guys, that's a great movie. Is that Out of a- Last Emperor yes. or Out of Africa? Oh, both. I've seen both. My mom took us... Actually, no. This is, I saw this at home. I was too young. Yeah. Gumpai yeah. said I'd never seen The English Patient, famously, which uh, how did that beat Fargo? Nobody ever Rain Man you've seen. Out. Tell me you've seen Thank Rain you. Man. Yeah, and I'm going to bring that up for my, my top five ever. So then we okay. said to ourselves, what are the best five movies, best five best picture winners ever? And if you want to add that to the text conversation as well, Gord, give us your top five. Starting at five, we got Forrest Gump, The Sting, Gladiator, The Godfather, and Rocky at number one. Okay, I have one of the same of your five. Shiva, top five. Go backwards okay, five to go- one. I didn't go. Oh gosh, you guys. Okay, um, I, I have six: Crash, okay. Slumdog Millionaire, Argo, Rain Man, Gladiator, Parasite. Those are pretty good. I can't. I can't knock those. Mine are. Uh, I loved Spotlight. That was just out about five years ago. I never with saw with it. Michael Keaton, uh, Boston-based uh, Catholic priest. Uh, bad things. It's a, <laughs> I'm just giving keywords here. Really? Is that <laughs> what it's all about? Those things and you'll That's come up with dark. Stuff. Yeah, it's just yeah, dark. You love movies uh, about religion. The darkness is part of the the top five. No Country for Old Men. I had a number four. I love oh, it. I, it's, every time it's on, I'll watch all it. All right, friendo. The Departed at number three. I love The Departed. I thought okay. Leo should have won the Oscar for that. I didn't need to see the bear or the wolf or whatever that was that was oh, yeah, the, the revenant. Yeah, the yeah, revenant. Yeah, yeah. He didn't need the Oscar for that. Silence of the Lambs number two. It's just mm. incredible. You still are on edge when you see it. And uh, and Platoon is number one. And that oh, might have been when yeah. I saw it, yeah. but Platoon still hits me hard. I had Rain Man as an honorable mention. I had American Beauty as an honorable mention. I love American Beauty. Is it oh, weird to watch Kevin Spacey in movies now? But it wasn't it, then. It is for me, and I love The <laughs> Usual Suspects. You just ruined it. See, I think also, um, Sheba, like The Godfather. Have you seen The Godfathers? I have, Yes. And they, they, I'm just kind of okay with them. And I feel weird saying that 
in because people are like, it's just the greatest, and it's. A, yeah. I'm just. It's sort of like when you come across people who really love you too, and I'm like, I just kind of like them. Is that okay? <gasps> Because no. I just kind of like the Godfather movies. I like the what? first one, and the second one, I was just like, oh, this is it's a tough sled. And Birdman, that Michael Keaton movie. <laughs> I love, can I recommend Birdman to people? Okay, pick one. So we, what's your top, what's your number one each, guys? Pl- what platoon. is it? Rocky. Pl- Rocky and mine's Parasite. Yeah, I'm not a big Rocky guy. I oh, love I Rocky love the first 3 one. and 4. Oh. The first one moves so slowly. And Adrian, I don't oh, know. Oh, wait, someone just said, where's Shawshank Redemption? But that was, was that? It didn't, that win. didn't win. It didn't win. It didn't win, it didn't win. but Mohammed, thank you for texting. Amazing yeah. movie. You got a great, great movie there. 